These are agency-backed loans. They are very long-term and they are fixed. So on the good side, if you develop a multifamily property and get a HUD loan, it's 40 years of fixed rate interest and 40-year amortization. And, you know, if you go from 20 to 25 to 30 to 40, you know, that type of amortization really increases cash flow. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney. So we are back with our guest, Tom Burns, entrepreneur, retired orthopedic surgeon. He's a physician for the United States ski team. He's over 25 years of experience in real estate and developed over $500 million in real estate locally and internationally. You're going to learn a lot from him again today. I hope you've listened to the last two days with him. But today we're going to jump into HUD loans along with some personal stuff as well that's helped him to grow. I enjoy that part of the show a lot and learning about people and, and just daily things that they do that have helped push them forward. And, and Tom is really big on that. But first, you're going to hear us talk about HUD loans and that process, pros, cons, and how he has used them. But also, we're going to get into some, some habits that maybe you probably don't expect that Tom has and how he is so focused on those daily consistent things and how he tracks them. I love that stuff because I know it's those small, consistent things that push the ball forward in such a big way. You're going to learn that from Tom today. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the show. I hope you are sharing it. I will be forever grateful for that. Have a blessed day. Appreciate the listeners being back with us again another day, and I'm grateful to be back with Tom Burns. Tom, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Whitney. Glad to be here as always. Yeah, honored to get to know you and have you as a guest and just your great degree of experience. And before I mention that, I want to encourage listeners to go back and listen to the last two days with Tom. We talked about so much about passive investing and being a general partner and what you need to look for. I mean, to Tom's background while being a physician and getting into real estate and managing that. And, and so I just encourage you to go back and listen to the last two days so you can get to know Tom better and learn a lot. And today, let's dive in, Tom. I know you have used HUD loans a lot for multifamily, and I, I want to learn more about HUD loans. I want you to help the listeners and myself to learn more and just what that is and maybe how you've used those and maybe, you know, what you're using today, if that's still the case, you know, if it's HUD loans. But let's dive in there. You know, what is a HUD loan? Maybe you can define that a little bit in the context of multifamily. And let's jump in. You bet. So a HUD loan is FH and FHA HUD insured loan. So you're not getting the loan from housing and urban development. It's being insured by them. There's uh, the numbers may have changed. Last I checked, there were like 19 lenders across the country that that would lend for HUD loans. So these are agency backed loans. They are very long term and they are fixed. So on the good side, if you develop a multifamily property and get a HUD loan, it's 40 years of fixed rate interest and 40 year amortization. And, you know, if you go from 20 to 25 to 30 to 40, you know, that type of amortization really increases cash flow, Whitney. And so add to that, if you develop under a HUD loan, you also get 20 months of interest only. So you get 20 months to build your property and lease it up. Then you start amortizing at month 21 and you've got 40 years after that. So that's that eliminates one of the variables in multifamily. You know, it's interest rate, market and taxes, right? Some of the things that affect multifamily. So we fix the interest rate. So they're wonderful loans and they are very popular, Some, sometimes a few basis points less than some of the other agency loans, although Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have gotten very aggressive these days and they're competing very well. Now, on the flip side, 
nothing's free, right? No free lunch. It is sometimes very difficult to get a HUD loan. It's very time consuming, very document heavy, takes a long time. So it might take you nine to 12 months these days to get a HUD loan for your development. Might take you six to nine to 12 months to do a HUD refinance. So it takes time. There's multiple meetings and you have to, at some point you have to invest significant money into your architecture, engineering, and civil to get it to a point where HUD will actually officially give you the loan. Now, as you get more experience, you'll know that once you start spending that money, you'll, you know, you have a 95 or more percent chance that you'll get the loan. But, you know, when you're spending 800,000 to a million dollars to hopefully get the loan, it's nice to get it, you know? So another downside or just difference is that if you're invested in a property that has a HUD loan, they can only distribute every six months. But the good news is, is that your sponsor, whoever he, she, or they are, they have to get a third party audit. So there's always a big brother looking over the sponsor's shoulder. And I think that's a, that should be a source of comfort for the investors because they're making sure the numbers are right. HUD's looking at them. Everything's spick and span shined up and then whatever excess surplus cash there is, we distribute. So if you look, just to wrap up, if you look, I remember I had a business partner I said, hey, I've got this development project. It's, you know, we got a HUD loan and all this. And he said, well, he said, I would never invest in a property that I wouldn't live in myself. Because, and I said, well, that's not what this is. Point being that people think that HUD means affordable tax credits, Section 8, not nice property. A lot, I'll tell you, a lot of the beautiful Class A apartments that you drive past wherever you are in the country were financed with a HUD loan. So it's a good product. It just, you know, has some give and take to it. Yeah. Would you say mostly for developments or any pre-existing type financing? In the multifamily world, you get a 221D4 is your development loan. And you can get a 223F, which is a refinance loan. And so you can build it with a 221, 221D4. Then later on, you can refinance to a 223F. Or you can buy a value-add property with a bridge loan. And, you know, improve maybe 10% of the property and prove up the increased rents. You can then use that 10% to amortize over the entire property. And HUD will start the process to do a 223F cash out refinance, if you wish. So you can go from conventional to HUD with existing property as well. It's a nice process. It, again, it's, it's involved, but you'll get sometimes 30 to 35 years of amortization on that cash out refinance. What about, I know you mentioned six to nine months just for the approval process, 800 yeah. to a million, you know, 800K to a million possibly spent. You know, is it possible to spend the 800K or a million and it not get approved? It's possible, but pretty much unlikely. You know, once you, because they'll tell you, and usually, you know, usually you get a HUD loan, at least in the past, they want you to be, they want you to be somewhat experienced. You know, what's the deal? You, you can't get experience without a job. You can't get a job without experience. They do let new people in. They let us in as new people. But they'll give you indications. Hey, we really like this. This is great because HUD will, they'll do their own research. They'll make sure that, you know, we've got a feasibility study. They'll make sure there's a need, a significant need for apartments in that area. And so you've pretty much got a good idea. After you spend about a hundred grand, you know, you go to these various meetings. There's first a concept meeting. We'd like to build apartments here. They're like, okay, that looks pretty good. We like it. Go do your thing. You spend about a hundred grand getting some drawings, concepts. You bring them in, and if they give you a kind of a go-forward letter, 
you pretty much know you're going to get it. Something bad has to happen. So you can be comfortable spending that money. And if you spend all that money and HUD doesn't give you a loan, you can still go get another loan. It's all money that you've got to spend anyway. It's architecture, civil engineering, that sort of stuff, permits, fees. So it's, it's all the stuff you'd spend if you were just borrowing from a bank or insurance company. Yeah, that's a point that I was hoping or we would make there. You would make, and I'm glad you did. It's like, well, it's money that you're going to have to spend anyway for all those studies and, and stuff you want right. to know or you're going to need to know or have to know as you go to get debt from some source one way right. or the other. What about, is HUD loans something you know you are still using right now or when would you use them right now or versus what other types of debt? We do still use it. I have transparently over the last three or four years with the speed of the market, you know, everybody, you know, things just were crazy. We started utilizing more insurance company and agency debt for for some of our construction, mostly actually bank and insurance company for our construction projects. Still, we do HUD because, and particularly now, you got a fixed rate loan right now, it becomes valuable because interest rates are rising, right? Now, as they rise, if you, you know, if you, you can go buy a HUD loan, another good thing about HUD loans, they're assumable. So if somebody's sitting at a, you know, 385 interest rate and still has 38 years left on their loan, you think, wow, what a great deal. Well, it's a great interest rate. You're still going to pay the equity gap between what HUD requires and what the property's worth. So you're going to pay a lot of equity for it, but then you'll at least have a fixed, uh, fixed interest rate. But we're still using it. We're not necessarily initiating it on developments. We'll jump in and take over a HUD loan, either a pre-stabilization or a property that's got a good yield to it. We'll we'll jump in because we're good buyers, good borrowers in HUD's eyes. So it's pretty easy to get us approved. So we, we look at those. We look at those. No, that's awesome. Would you recommend, you mentioned like people can get started. They got to get started somehow, right? And it's hard sometimes with no experience, but as people are getting started as, as operators, you know, is, is HUD something they should be pushing towards from the beginning? Yeah, I tell you, probably not as the first one. I mean, there's a lot of brain damage getting a HUD deal. A lot <laughs> of brain damage. And it's more expensive to get. They require a lot more stuff. If you were to do that, I would get with somebody that's very, I would partner with somebody that's very experienced and you can learn along the way. If it's just you and your partners maybe do not have HUD experience, I would go a more conventional route. I'd look to banks, insurance companies, maybe Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I want to shift gears just a little bit with the last few minutes that we have together. Sure. Tom, you know, I wanted to ask you too, you know, from your experience and as a physician and moving into real estate, like we talked about in the first first segment, what would you do different? If you could talk to Tom 30 years ago, you know, what would you tell him? Yeah, I always answer that question. I wouldn't change anything because it's brought me to where I am. And I'm very happy with my life and blessed with where I've ended up. You know, of, of course, we have ups and downs, but my focus a little more. I'm like the poster child for attention deficit. I've done so many different things and it's all kind of ended up coming back to real estate, particularly multifamily. And I would probably do more. I was slow, deliberate and consistent, which is a great way to go. But I would probably be, I would probably been just a little bit more aggressive at, you know, if one thing worked, I would probably try to multiply that and do it again because you become more of an expert and it really multiplies your efforts. And the more doors you have, the quicker your wealth and your cash flow will multiply. And finally, I'd probably, you know, I know I got a mentor early. I would have, and I've had, I've got lots of them now. I, I would have used everything I had to, I would have begged, borrowed, and steal for people to just teach me what they know. Even though I did some of that, I would have done more of it. Love that right there. You'd have begged, borrowed, and stealed to have learned more, to gain more education early on, right? Yeah. 
practical knowledge from somebody who's been there. I would have been more millions compounded over 20 or 30 years. Very wise right there. What about, what's your best source for meeting new investors right now or, or growing your investor base? Uh, it's usually networking, not contrived networking, but it's just getting out there and being and being with other people. So that's usually the best source. I put out a blog, newsletter, whatever you want to call it. People tend to, you know, sometimes new people find that and they'll they'll find their way to Presario or to or to some of the deals that I do separately. So I'm not a big social media kind of guy. I'm not ever going to send you a picture of my food. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm an avid poster. I probably post maybe two or three times a year. So I, I'm sure a lot of people would say you could do a lot better, Tom. But I try to put out good content. People come in through those those venues. A lot of times people come through podcasts like this. So it's funny without out there trying to get new investors, which we are in my company, we put out stuff to try, you know, we make it easy for investors to find us. But the rest of it just kind of happens as a byproduct of, of me trying to learn or me trying to help other people learn how to get what they want. So it kind of works out. Everybody wins in the end. What about a challenge you're facing in your business right now? Oh, gosh. Depends on which business. Probably in the multifamily world, it's really the development, you know, because you got to look two or three years out. And so if we can't get a GMAX contract, which means our construction prices are fixed and the contractor has responsibility for the prices, we've got to be really careful. So the challenge is making sure that we can somewhat predict where the world's going to be in two years to make sure that we have a viable product when it goes from a piece of dirt to a you know full vertical and leased up property. So it's difficult right now for us to find deals that we feel good enough that fit our parameters. We're still finding them. It's just difficult. So we're working harder. Awesome. No doubt it's uh, difficult. What about, what are some of the most important metrics that you track? It could be something personally. It could be how many times you get out of bed on time, or it could be how many deals you're underwriting or your bench press number, or, you know, either way. What are some of the most important metrics to Tom? Okay. Yeah. Tom metrics. I have a journal that I write in supposedly each morning. I can tell you I've missed a lot of mornings this year, but I have a journal that I write in and in the back, I have a habit tracker and I give that to the folks in my mastermind. I stole that, of course, from Atomic Habits, uh, James Clear's book, which is a fabulous book, but I track habits. And so I track, I try to do hundred pushups a day. I track those. I like to take hikes because that's where my mind clears. And that's how I wrote half my book is when that's my meditation. I'm a poor meditator, ping pong balls bounce around my head. So I track, I track my hikes because that's where my mind clears. You know, I track how many books I read, how many how many days I'm reading, the amount of time that I fast. I like I prefer to do intermittent fasting as a habit. So a lot of it's health these days and a few business things. You know, the number of times I speak, the number of times I'm on a podcast. It's just I don't actively go out looking for those things, but I want to know the numbers. Yeah. That's awesome. If you don't track it, you don't know, right? And you can't improve exactly. it if, you don't, if you're not tracking it. So I love those things that you listed there, even that many of them were personal things too, like, I mean, which I think flows right into your business, right? Yeah. Getting those push-ups in or getting those hikes in or reading all that, man, just affects your business in a big way, to oh, say the least. You want to be healthy. You know, if you feel healthy, you feel good, you have more energy. Another thing I'm tracking is tennis. I took up tennis again after 30 years. And so I track how many days I play tennis just to see if, I, if I'm putting my, my feet where my mouth is. But, uh, and it's, it's filling up pretty good. That's awesome. Any other habits that have helped produce a high return for you that you'd like to highlight? That's really that habit of 
persistence occasionally, certainly some delayed gratification, but that's why I prefer daily habits as opposed to massive action. It's awesome to stand at a Tony Robbins thing and move your hands up and down, but I prefer daily small habits because they compound. So that's it. It's it's habit for me. It's it's just habit and persistence and actually doing something every day. You know, my my core values are adventure, connection, growth, and that growth thing is I want to do something every day. Makes me a little better, Tom, today than I was yesterday, either physically, personally, spiritually, family-wise, or in my business. That seems to work for me. I love that as well. Getting better every day. If you're 1% better every day, right? Do the math. Right. And so what's the number one thing that you would say has contributed to your success? You know, I think the people around me, I take no credit for what I've done. All I did was try to, you know, keep my knees high and my head down each day and, and do some work. But I've had, I've had so many good people that have helped me, taught me, partnered with me. I love people and I love hanging around with those folks. And I prefer to do things in partnership than as the Lone Ranger. So I think my network, my partners, my friends, that's the greatest wealth in my treasure chest. I think that's what's made me wealthy and given me a life that that I'm enjoying. Yeah, that's awesome. What about how do you like to give back? I give a lot of my time for free. You know, a lot of people, you know, I have a paid mastermind, but you know, that pales to the number of people I talk to that call and just want to have you know, just want to have some advice. And so I, I like to do that. I like to teach. And then I provide my time and my money to certain causes, you know, foster children and those that are and people that are afflicted with any type of substance abuse, because that really affects, it doesn't affect just them, it affects their family, which affects the world. Yeah. Wow. Well, Tom, grateful and thankful for you, just the way you've given back to us today, the listeners and myself, just going through HUD loans, what they are and how you've used them or the pros and the cons, which you listed many, which I think we should all consider as we're thinking about debt and it could help us in so many ways. However, also getting into the more personal side of Tom, you know, even the habits and the journaling to what you're tracking, I think it's helpful too, like practically for the listeners, even as you're starting to think about journaling, and I've done it on and off for a number of years, and it's always been beneficial. Sometimes I'm kicking myself sometimes, right? It was like, why did I not do it for that six months or a year? You know, it's like, I know it's beneficial. And so, you know, just encourage the listener as well to take Tom's advice and think about those things that are pushing you forward loved how you said too that you prefer the daily habits over massive action. It's so true, right? The the consistent things, right? Whether they may seem small at the time, but man, six months later, some a lot's happened, right? You've moved a long ways. Tom, it's so grateful to meet you and have you on the show. Tell the listeners again how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. You bet. If you go to rich.life forward slash toolkit, That'll take you to the website. It'll also get you some free gifts that'll maybe help you work on your real estate portfolio. It's stuff that's helped me over the past 30 years. So looking forward to talking to you sometime in the future. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today. 